listening to an introduction. So uh, this is Dr. Erin Hughes. She is a world traveler. She knows, uh, she's worked um, extensively. Actually, you know better than you. Why don't you give yourself an introduction? <laughs> well, world traveler is a big idea. <laughs> but um, yeah, my name is Erin Hughes. Um, I just finished my PhD at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland about a year ago. Actually, a year ago. Wow. Yes, yes. I'm from um, Farmington Hills originally, and my research has been on the um, Assyrian and Chaldean and Syriac population from the Middle East, um, which is predominantly from Iraq, and it's a Christian, unique Christian community. Um, am I loud enough? No, yeah, um, so yeah, since I completed my PhD, I went. I'm working on turning it into a book. So I was back. I went. I traveled for the first time to northern Iraq um, in May to wow. see the damage caused by uh, ISIS and to talk with religious and community leaders there and political officials um, and all of that stuff. So it was oh an incredible goodness. experience seeing people doing amazing, tireless work. <laughs> That's tireless work completely. Wow. Yeah. How long? How long did you go for? I was there for uh, just under two weeks, um, and want to go back so so very badly <laughs> because I didn't plan any time for tourism, right. and it's just a ridiculously beautiful region um, with. I mean, I didn't get to see Assyrian ruins that date back millennia, and yeah. it, how did I not think to schedule yeah, that? I mean, yeah, I mean, two weeks were probably really <laughs> I busy. Know, I know. Need I need more to time. go back. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, very much so. <laughs> so, what really inspired you just to make this trip, and yeah. what do you feel like you really learned from it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think part of it was, when I was doing my research, um, when I was doing my PhD, I really wanted to have the opportunity to travel over there. And um, with the Syrian war and with um, instability in Iraq then culminating in ISIS, it just always felt very unsafe, stable and not so safe. Um, and the time since graduating, I had... Is that going to be too loud? Yeah, I think I can edit it. Okay. <laughs> and the time since graduating, um, I had... Uh, the pleasure of meeting a couple of friends who are from the Kurdish region in Iraq um, and gave me a new perspective wow. that it's super safe. Um, ISIS had been pushed back through you know, parts of these Christian villages that bordered the Kurdish region. Um, their family there is there and happy and safe and traveling and oh, stuff like that. And so um, it reduced a lot of barriers. Um, you know, the fact that then I tangentially knew people who were there um, and friends of mine in the Chaldean community here in Michigan um, were really helpful and connecting me with people there for interviews and stuff so it just became something that was very easy and the barriers that I thought existed weren't really there anymore. Did you go by yourself or did you go with the I program? Did. Nope, I went all by myself. Um, I was really lucky um, because of the connections that I had. Um, there are two of the largest cities in uh, the Kurdish region are Erbil, which is the capital, and Sleimani, um, which is eastern Kurdish region um, and so I had contacts in both of those cities and then I had contacts with the head of this organization um, called Shama Foundation um, which does incredible work um, it's kind of funded by um, an individual Normati there and a couple of uh, young Assyrians living in the US and Canada 
Um, and he took me to um, visit a refugee camp in Erbil. He took me to um, visit this village of Bartala in northern Iraq, near uh, 12 miles outside of Mosul. Um, I was wow. really nervous <laughs> before oh we went there. I think the two times I was nervous um, was one being on the plane because it was yeah. just like, oh wait, this is now actually happening. Um, right. And then once we landed, I was fine. Once the plane took off, I was fine. Um, and then the morning when I knew we were going to Bartella, I was just like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Mosul was still war zone at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it was just 12 miles, and I was like, oh my god, I don't know what this. And I walked out of my hotel to the car, and there was um, Noor, but there was also um, the, he- the head of this uh, Syriac church there, and two different, um, like, uh, a driver and other people, and they were just so casual about it, and the... Um, the priest, uh, called an Abuna in the Syriac faith, um, was like, oh, I go almost every day. And I was like, oh, okay. okay, this feels a lot more normal. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you feel like in American society, really, um, I mean, you hear about it on the news every single day, that, yeah. like, do you think that we um, project it to be much larger than it actually is absolutely. on the field? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not to negate or minimize at all like the horror and damage and evil and cruelty of ISIS like it was pathological it was insane it was brutal right um not to negate all of that but at the same time like there are people living everyday lives going to shopping malls and grocery stores and stuff like that and um I know a couple of friends of mine even my parents um you know they're like well the Kurdish region, what is that like? Yeah. like? Are there shopping malls there? And so I was showing them photos. They're like, here's a TGI Fridays. Here's like oh, a Costa man. Coffee. Like, um, here's an Ace Hardware store that's like three stories tall. And like, oh, it was shocking. Like, yeah. it, there, I was actually, I knew it looked like any city um but when i was there there were some areas where every single sign was in english and it was just surreal i felt like if someone like dropped me in there and said where in the world do you think you are i would think maybe canada or america i never would have guessed i was in iraq so um it was even that was like more than what i had expected it was it's shockingly westernized in some ways in that part of the kurdish region yeah yeah so what did you i know you got your phd Mm -hmm. um so what was the primary objective for you to go? Yeah. Um, was it more just like research-based or was it just you were curious or things like that? Definitely a combination of both. Yeah, um, the biggest impetus is um, I'm trying to turn my thesis into a book. Okay. And so um, I had a bit of a challenge when I was completing my thesis because... Um, you know, I finished all the research and all my interviews and was writing up. It's a really multi-year process. Yeah. And yeah. then, like, ISIS happened. And part of my research was um, looking at, it focuses on the diaspora here in the United States, um, but it's looking at what they want for Iraq, what their long-term goals are for the community. When they lobby people in Washington, D.C., what are they asking for? And one of their principal objectives had become um, an autonomous province or region in this region outside uh, Mosul called the Nineveh Plain, which is ancestral, uh, historical Christian homeland. Um, And the former prime minister of Iraq, I think in January, February of 2014, um, even advocated for turning into a Christian province. So it felt like this was starting to make progress, and my research kind of ended at that point in time. And then in June, ISIS took over Mosul. And then in July and August, it took over the Nineveh Plain. And so this goal of like, this should be a Christian province, all of a sudden, ISIS comes and is like, if you're Christian, you have the choice to convert to Islam, pay a tax, um, a jizya, or flee, or no, or face the sword. So most fled. Um, And this, you know, anchor of Christianity of Iraq was suddenly devoid of Christians. 
And so, as a researcher and as someone who's desperately trying to finish her thesis so she can get a job, um, it created this question of like, oh my God, do I re-research this? Like, do I wait and see what happens? What do I do? And so, with my supervisors, um, we kind of decided to do an epilogue and kind of integrate language that like. Um, Obviously, the situation is still very much in flux, but at the same time, it didn't change the goal, right? Like, at the same time, the goal was when ISIS is defeated, it's even more imperative that we have a homeland. So kind of working that dynamic into it. Um, so now that I'm done and I want to turn into a book, I need to update my research and include all these dynamics of displacement and the fact that now it's, you know, a question of will people return first of all because obviously there's a lot of fear and insecurity but also there's a lot of physical barriers you know these towns some of them are like 80 percent 90 percent destroyed you know if there's no one there how are their schools and ways to have a job and make money right. make a life and so um, all these additional factors um, now into will Christians return to Iraq um, so I wanted to kind of be able to experience that firsthand um, and also just the idea of actually being there in person and seeing what these villages actually look like. Because, right. um, you know, we live near Detroit. We have an idea of, like, what abandonment looks like in some context. Um, but this, I don't think I could really appreciate the scale of it until yeah. I actually saw it. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was intense and um, very... I don't want to use... I, like, I feel like I should, I'm tempted to say, oh, it was amazing, but that's <laughs> horrible because people were displaced. But right. it was an uh, unforgettable experience. <laughs> so of the people that you met there, I know you mentioned you met a lot of community leaders and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, what kind of relationship did you build in those two weeks with them? And why do you felt like you really learned by just speaking to them over there yeah. and how like common people that live there actually? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, one, of the, one of the things that shocked me most and that's kind of stayed with me is when um, I spoke to people, including... The foreign minister of the Kurdish region, not just like people on the ground, but you know, like actual higher up politicians. Um, and you know, when there's a crisis here, like when you know Hurricane Katrina hits or there's some sort of disaster, you know, FEMA comes and the government tries to provide aid and assistance and support people until they can return home. And so I knew that there was a refugee camp in Erbil, uh, Kurdistan, with 5,500 people still living in it. I knew the Kurdish region and as a whole had almost 2 million refugees from Iraq and Syria. And so um, one of my questions was, you know, what has the Iraqi government done itself to help to provide support, thinking that there would be like a list of answers. And the answer was almost universally nothing. And I was shocked. <laughs> um, oh yes, a lot of it has come, you know, some people wouldn't say that so directly. Um, they'd say, they kind of laugh and evade by saying, well, right. foreign governments and NGOs and churches and this and that and the Kurdish region have done so much to help us and we're so appreciative. Um, but like with the refugee camp, or the, I shouldn't say refugee, that IDP, Internally Displaced Persons Camp in Erbil, um, you know, the head of, the guy who helps manage it said, you know, in the, he what used to be a city council member in Bartella, fled, you know, when ISIS came himself, um, said in the years, almost three years he's been there, like, no one from the Iraqi government has ever come to talk to people about, like, their needs, about their long-term goals, if they want to return home, things that you would just expect a government to do in yeah. providing services to its community. So that was something that really stuck with me, and the fact that the churches then are... Um, 
almost bearing the burden of like organizing aid and soliciting aid and helping manage this massive humanitarian displacement crisis wow. and are now taking um, upon themselves this idea that they need to help organize rebuilding in their towns and how these tiny you know marginalized vulnerable communities are bearing this colossal burden um, without adequate resources and support wow. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's hard to yeah, process hard to completely. Process, like, yeah. I just kept thinking of, you know, for me when I was, you know, when I was just out of college, Katrina left such an impact because, you know, you saw people displaced and the government not doing enough to help them. And the FEMA director, FEMA was ultimately fired and stuff like that. And so I just kept thinking, like, as awful as that was, because it left such an impression on me, like, this is so, 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 so much, like, it's not even comparable how much worse it is. And um, that's just kind of resonated with me. Wow. Yeah. Are there any, I mean, you went for two weeks, it's a pretty long time, especially in the area, which is very dangerous. Um, I mean, what did your family have to say about this <laughs> when you brought this idea up to yeah. them? Um, my dad was probably not thrilled. Um, my mother has friends who are I mean, you hear in. these stories of yes. like, these reporters yes. and journalists oh, that go. Um, so part of it was I made it very clear, like, so I didn't tell them that I was going to go to Bartel. I didn't know at the time I was going to go to Bartel. My plan was entirely to stay within the Kurdish region. Right. And um, because the Peshmerga has, with US support, you know, with bombs and you know, military aid and stuff like that, has really secured the Kurdish border, like I felt like that was okay. And my friend's um, brother who I was meeting there is you know, high up in the police force there. And you know, he was going to okay. go to the airport. And so like trying to like make it seem like it was a normalized thing. Um, that I wasn't going to be near any risky areas. Um, my mom has friends who are Chaldean who um, were going to northern Iraq and towns like Al Khosh, um, which is not far from ISIS at the time, you know, when ISIS was still much more active. Right. And so um, when she mentioned to them I was going, they're like, oh my god, take pictures, and like, we're totally not. So I think that that helped her feel more comfortable with right. it because people who had been and, you know, had families still there and stuff like that. Um, my husband was just kind of like, okay, cool. I wanted him to go with because I thought it would be awesome. And he didn't go. And now he's like, all right, maybe next time. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what do you plan on doing? I mean, you said you want to go next time. Do you plan on yeah. going soon and for a longer period of time? Maybe? Um, it really depends on, on employment. Um, I'm looking uh, I was working on a project that just ended. So I am, it depends on resources and time and yeah, stuff like yeah. that going forward. I'd love to go for like a month or something like that. Wow. Just, yes, yes. My friend, um, not that this is so related to that, but my friend was showing me pictures. Um, there's a river that you go along in Kurdish, Kurdish region and there's all these um, Assyrian carvings into um, like mountains there and some wow. of them are like falling in the river and in the British Museum in London they have a huge section on Assyrian carvings and art and it's like that except it's literally where it was carved and it's not like a protected site it's not oh, a museum it's thing you can literally just like walk there you can walk on them if you want to it's just there and I was like how did I not go see this this is like yeah. I mean you know 2,000 years of history just there <laughs> yeah yeah so um there's a lot of um there's a lot of you know sometimes it's hard to process how old the history is and it right. would be amazing to see that yeah yeah, yeah. It's remarkable. <laughs> um, I mean, during your time there, you probably came across so many people and um, met so many different types of people mm -hmm. from different backgrounds. Um, what, like, 
small unique details because you can't obviously like oh if you meet someone on the street would you tell them that oh I remember like I went here and I did this specifically what are those small specific details and takeaways that you walked away with after your trip oh that's a really good question um that's a really good question it's, my answer is um, probably more about the Kurdish people. Um, so uh, part of my research as well is kind of thinking about new directions to take my research. And so with the Kurdish independence movement, or independence referendum coming up, um, that was something that I was starting to explore on the side. Um, and I think um, to me was just the incredible warmth and openness of the Kurdish people I had the pleasure of working with and talking to and encountering. Um, but their perception of themselves, um, they were, I mean, the Kurdish region is surrounded by not friendly neighbors. Um, mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, like <laughs> Turkey, Syria, Iran all have, well, Syria is a civil war right now, but all have Kurdish populations that they, especially Turkey, are actively hostile to sometimes. Um, and then, you know, they're part of the Iraqi state, which under Saddam committed genocide against the Kurdish people. And right. so um, there is, I think, almost every Kurdish person I spoke to had some narrative of, you know, we're very new to the world. Um, and just this sense that they had that they were very isolated because of their geography and because of, you know, the repression of Saddam's regime. And so this, we're new to the world, we're, you know, we've been really isolated, we're kind of learning about how everything works, and, right. you know, we have all this investment stuff coming in, and we're still new to navigating this, and everything that's going on, and, you know, culture, and this and that, yeah. you know, Western culture and all that is, you know, something that we're, you know, still learning and engaging with and stuff, so, um, to me, like, it felt like this awakening um, that they were expressing, and that was really interesting. So, I mean... Did you have any specific interactions with ISIS in general? No, or not did you, at all. Or not no. at all. Did you see, like, um, you, or, I mean, or did you see any of, like, war, things like that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the it would be more um, a sense of, like, remnants of ISIS. And okay. this is what ISIS did. So um, when we went to Bartella, which is the town 12 miles from Mosul, it's about 40 miles from Erbil, the Kurdish capital. Right. Um, driving there took like over two hours because there were so many security checkpoints yeah. um, at first they were Kashmirga checkpoints the Kurdish militia and then at some point they changed and they were Iraqi military checkpoints um, and so you knew you were getting closer and once you got kind of on the route um, you could see buildings that were destroyed and had like huge um, uh, bigger than like mortar, mortar, mortar holes or damage and stuff yeah. like that um, and then when we got into the town itself it was it felt very vacant, um, and the damage. I can send you pictures or a essay yeah. I wrote about it if you want. Um, yeah, the definitely. damage was just so hard to comprehend, and you know, bullet holes everywhere, bombings, and the fire damage was just insane. Um, in houses, in regular buildings, grass, just like it was like it was in- destroyed, so people couldn't return. Was the impression you had? Like it took so much work. Like. Every single home that we walked by, like everything inside was piled in the street in front and things that ISIS were harem under ISIS, like music and stuff were burned, CDs, um, uh, musical instruments, scissors, (laughs) and then clothes were just, and toys and stuff were just piled and like, and probably have been in piles for years. Um, 
And it, it was just like this very pathological systemic effort to kind of not enable people to return. Um, and so you'd see like ISIS graffiti, um, and then some Christians who had returned would like X over it and like draw a cross and stuff. Um, there was um, one of the, uh, not the church itself, but one of the buildings, I think it was used as a school, the Abuna we traveled with was setting up as kind of a command center so he could help direct reconstruction. Um, there had been holes, you know, between the buildings that ISIS used to tunnel when they were fighting so they wouldn't have to go out to be. Um, you know, to risk being shot, and um, they had like been patching those up, and there were, um, you know, like crosses that had bullet holes in them, and right. um, uh, Christian figures and paintings and statues where the faces were all scraped, scraped off because ISIS prohibits ideology and depictions of people and stuff like that who you worship. Um, so you saw the. The, their legacy there um, and the extent of their efforts, but never in a position where like I would actually was near anyone who was a member of ISIS. Okay. I would yeah. have never tried to put myself yeah, in that situation. As an American right. woman, I do not yes, <laughs> do not like my odds in that scenario <laughs> at all. That would have been deadly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> um, what do you think in the next 15, 20, 30 years mm-hmm. really, do you think the situation is going to change because you've been there on the front lines and you've seen um has there been progress actually been made and what do you think is going to we're going to see actually in the next 30 years in that region that is a good question um it really depends and that's one of the things i kept thinking about there because uh, not just Christians in Iraq, but all vulnerable minorities, Yazidis and Sabian Mindians and stuff like that. Um, it's not ISIS that has alone that has threatened their existence there, right? It was, you know, the 10 years prior when, after the Iraq war, we created a we didn't build civil society, we basically created these sectarian factions which culminated in conflict and you know these populations have been pushed and cleansed from Iraq for a decade and then ISIS came and then you know Christians and Yazidis were genocided, you know just pushed en masse and so how do they return, how do they become part of the state, will they? Um, And it really depends on what the Iraqi state does going forward. If they try to actively create a state that is not so sectarian and it's, you know, entitlement and belonging and to participate in the political process and stuff like that. But when that, and in schools, like actively teaches kids, like we're a diverse society, you know, like all mm-hmm. these things make a huge difference. And if, you know, Christians and Shia and Sunni and Yazidis and whomever equally feel like they can have upward opportunity and they can participate in the state and that it will be fair and that they're respected and that their rights are protected, then perhaps, you know, it can be successful. But am I optimistic that's going to happen? Not so very much. Um, I think that the tragedy of Iraq's smaller vulnerable communities has that they've always been kind of a sideshow to bigger conflict. So in Iraq, a lot of the times it's talked as a Shia Sunni Kurdish issue. And so these people are already like left from the equation. And so when you have Mosul, um, which, you know, not all of Mosul, like East Mosul is damaged, but not so damaged, it's livable, and people, students, I think, are returning to classes at East Mosul, or, or the University of Mosul, they're Brazilians, is amazing, um, but the old town is horribly damaged, and the government there issued, like, I think it's a 10-year 
I want to say 10 billion, but I might have that figure wrong, rebuilding plan from also, including rebuilding structurally, but also repairing society, right. which is great and it's absolutely needed. And Mosul was one of the most diverse cities in Iraq, especially after Baghdad was cleansed following the war. That's great. Are the Yazidi and Christian and Mandean villages elsewhere in Iraq also going to be rebuilt? Is there going to be a government commitment to them? Because looking at how much need Mosul has, that's probably going to be the one that attracts most support. Right. And so, you know, will that will they be forgotten or will there be a conscious effort to, you know, help them to stay and remain as well? I think also we'll see a Kurdish state and that could very much change the equation on Part of the complexity of Iraq is um, its disputed territories where the Christians and Yazidis live. And so Kurdistan has controversially announced the independence referendum, which to me, absolutely go for it, but the controversial part to me is that they're including the disputed territories in whether or not they want to vote to be part of an independent Kurdish state. Um, and for populations that haven't yet returned, it seems kind of in unfair and very early ask for them to decide do you want to stay in Iraq or be Kurdish right. when most of them aren't going, probably aren't going to be returned by September when September 25th when the referendum happens and quite honestly probably don't know because you know everything is so in flux they have no idea what the next month is going to look like but in the next year and 10 years um, so I don't know how that is going to play out um, I wouldn't be surprised if they become part of Kurdistan because Kurdistan has been provided a lot of safety, protected, you know, Christians and Yazidis and vulnerable minorities. And because Christians have lived amongst Kurds for, you know, in the Kurdish region for a long time. Um, but I think an independent Kurdistan will very much um, change the equation and I don't know what happens after that. <laughs> Sorry, that was a very no, long, no, rambly no. answer. <laughs> it was, it was really, it was really good insight actually yeah, I learned a lot um, so just take us back to the first day or like the first moment you really stepped off the plane mm -hmm. into the airport and what was your yeah. initial reaction through there and then did your perceptions or maybe the stereotypes that you yeah, had yeah. about the place how did that slowly change day by day that's a good question um landing it's a it's a pretty modern airport, but one of the first things I noticed, I knew that the Kurdish region was in financial crisis. Um, one, there was a huge boom after the Iraq war um, and the past few years, and with ISIS, one, um, that kind of stopped because there was a lot of security concerns. Two, the Iraqi central government stopped paying Kurdistan. It's money like so oil revenue goes to Baghdad and then it's distributed okay. and so they stopped giving the Kurdish region their payments so like there were I already knew that there were all these stories about like Peshmerga hadn't been paid and it's government workers in Kurdish region hadn't been okay. paid and then oil prices collapsed so like I knew the Kurdish region was having a lot there was a lot of stalled construction and economic stress and stuff um, and not so much that you felt it while you were there, but you saw like kind of subtle signs. So for me, one of the first was when I got off the plane and there were all these huge buckets all over the ground in different areas because the roof was leaking and like, I guess they couldn't repair it. Um, probably because there's money to repair yeah, yeah. it. So um, that was something that was kind of like a very subtle reminder. Like, yes, there's very real economic challenges here. And probably the government had bigger priorities than repairing leaking roofs. But, you know, so many places, you know, when you were getting your passport stamped and when you were waiting to pick your baggage stuff there were just buckets everywhere mm -hmm. <laughs> um so that stuck with me because it was a very modern building it's a very nice airport in terms of the space and design and stuff like that right um 
And then my friend's uh, brother picked me up, so that was very convenient. Mm. Um, and it felt, I've been to Bahrain before in different places like that, and it felt kind of similar in that it was very sunny, it was kind of beige and dusty and stuff. Um, and a lot of like new constructions, not quite as tall skyscrapers, but lots of tall buildings. Um, and it just felt very normal, I guess. It didn't feel like it was that close to a war zone or that it had been recently or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it just felt kind of like any new area that's kind of started to experience a boom. Um, and uh, Iraqi drivers are crazy, but the best <laughs> drivers in the world at the same time. Um, they drive so fast. Right. <laughs> and then there's this tiny little speed bump that you come to, and everyone just stops and goes over, and it's just so flawless. And they're such good drivers, but it's very like nerve-wracking when you first experience it because it's so fast, and then speed bumps. That's like, I mean, I, I was born in India. And there we you was, go. I mean, exactly. It's like, it feels it's like controlled chaos. Yes, exactly. yes. It was much, I've, been, I've not been to India, I've been to Bangladesh, and there it did not feel controlled at all. You'd see buses, and like the whole sides were like graded off because like the bus drivers just did not care oh, yeah, and it's yeah. just like <laughs> layers of sheet metal like that were graded so Iraq was not like that or I should say Airbnb was not like that as much better um and it felt very yeah it felt very normal um one of the things that I kept noticing um was kind of a contrast between some areas down the street um gender issues I guess um, so when you're walking in some areas and uh, Erbil and Lear and Sleimani um, the people I was with were like oh the street is like for men like men come here to, at night and you know smoke shisha and have um, you know like kebabs and you know hang out and watch football and all that stuff yeah. um, soccer and um, I was like where do women go and they're like yeah <laughs> exactly but um, anytime I was in government buildings and interviewing people there I was shocked by how many women work there um, oh. and because I worked in DC or a lot of times you'd feel like you were maybe one of like two women in a meeting or in a room and stuff right. and that was never the case there it was incredibly well integrated and so it was interesting the contrast between how well rep women are represented in government and then kind of these social norms that still kind of are somewhat more male dominated yeah. um, so that was really interesting um, and hopefully a sign of progress right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in the metro Detroit area, mm -hmm. we have a large um, Middle Eastern population, mm -hmm. a large Chaldean population. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think that people here can really do to help the situation that you noticed um, in Iraq? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think more than anything it's um just assistance is needed and it's hard to it's challenging because it's really hard to ship supplies there like you know when i was looking at things like the shama foundation does and like their work with students and stuff like you want to just like go on amazon or you know target yeah, website and exactly. order them like a gazillion things and that's not really easy to do <laughs> and shipping costs are very expensive um but honestly i think financial aid whether it's to you know uh Iraqi organization itself, like Shlomo or Aid to the Church in the Need or one of the churches there, or to, you know, um, an NGO that does amazing work across the region, because it's not just there. I mean, in 
if you look at what Jordan and Lebanon and you know all these neighboring countries have, you know, the support that they're trying to provide um, refugees and you know are utterly just strained in doing so um i think even if it's just like 10 20 donations and stuff like little things are really helpful um the other option would of course be there are a lot of refugees who have come here and need support and whether it's um you know talking to you know resettlement agencies that help them to see if there's ways to volunteer even if it's not financial aid but maybe helping someone practice english or helping you know welcome them and you know cooking a meal and taking it over to someone who's you know newly arrived and things like that um I know from my research and from friends and stuff like that, you know, I can't imagine myself, but how terrifying and isolating the relocation experience can be when you're new and everything is foreign. Um, Even though there's a strong Chaldean and Arabic community here to support people who have arrived, um, Mm -hmm. anything to help them feel more welcome and part of the community is always, you know, really, really important. Right. So my last question for you is... um, (laughs) What, after this experience, if you could pick one word, uh, what would it be and just explain why? Ooh, um, that's a really good question. I was trying to think of this one you mentioned earlier. Um, I think the word I always keep going back to, and it's not just because of this experience, but I think maybe our social moment right now, empathy. Um, right. Definitely empathy. That's I think cool. that there's a lot of unfortunate rhetoric, both in... Iraq marginalizing different people and here in America that um, can be I don't I don't know the tactful way to say mm-hmm. this um, it can it can be maybe a wee bit hateful it can be angry um, and it, there's not sometimes a willingness to look at you know who there's maybe a willingness to label people a certain way and to almost like negate them because of that and I think that empathy is utterly important because most people are just doing the best they can and um, it's, you know, to make our society better, to make our society kinder and things like that right. is super important. Yeah. Great one. <laughs> so thank you so much of for course. talking to me Absolutely. today. Um, uh, I mean, I learned a lot. I hope, <laughs> I hope that uh, uh, the article comes out well and definitely yeah. I'll, I'll send it I'll send it to you and just make sure that you can go through and see um, if Absolutely. you like it or not make any changes you would of like course, of course. and if you have any pictures and things like so that, that yes. yes let me get your email address okay <laughs>